Well, good afternoon, brethren. It's a privilege to be here with you today. That was certainly very special music, very beautiful special music. And I would like to echo <clears throat> the gentleman that gave the sermonette. Uh, the sunshine today is very nice. You know, we used to live in New England, and uh, <clears throat> it was actually one time up there. We were preparing for the Passover in March, and we were watching the weather very carefully. And about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it was starting to snow. And then uh, the state patrol announced that anybody that got on the roads that evening would be arrested. So we had to cancel Passover, and we kept the second Passover about a month later because of the snowstorm that came through. So I would imagine that all the kids in New England are cheering for three feet of snow. It's going to take a while to get the roads cleared, and they won't have to go to school on Monday. Uh, other people may think differently about it. <clears throat> I'd like to introduce the sermon today with a little story about this preacher that was preaching a very powerful sermon on sin. And he was describing all the evils in society. And he said, if I had all the beer in the world, I would throw it in the river. If I had all the wine in the world, I would throw it in the river. If I had all the whiskey in the world, I would throw it in the river. He went over and sat down perspiring at the end of the sermon. Song leader got up, came up to the podium, had a little smile on his face, but he was a little nervous. He said, would you all take your hymnals and rise and turn to page 365, and we'll all sing together, Shall We Gather at the River? <laughs> if you've ever sung that song, it's kind of like a, a spiritual type of thing. It's very emotional and very moving. Now, what does that have to do with the sermon? We'll gather at the river and you bring your, you bring your glass. <laughs> now, it'll tie into the sermon as we will see. You know, we're here on the Sabbath not just to sing songs and not just to socialize and not just to have a snack after services, not just to listen to a sermon or two, but we're here for some very big reasons, very powerful reasons, very significant reasons. We're, be, we're here to be reminded of the plan of God. We're here to be reminded of what our future involves, that we've actually been called out of this world to begin to change the world, to prepare to change the world. I'd like you to look at a scripture as we <clears throat> begin, just to lay the groundwork. <clears throat> it's one we don't always turn to, but in Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah chapter 58, in the Old Testament survey class this week, we're going through some scriptures in Jeremiah, having gone through Isaiah <clears throat> a week or so ago. And there's a parallel chapter in Jeremiah 17, but we're going to look at Isaiah 58 for just a moment. Reading in verses 13 and 14, there are instructions here for keeping the Sabbath, what God wants us to do on the Sabbath. In verse 13, it says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, if you take your feet off of the Sabbath, if you take your feet off of the Sabbath, that's holy time, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. This is not a day to go shopping, not a day to do our washing, not a day to do various things like that. 
And you call the Sabbath a delight. People are told today the Sabbath is a burden. But one of the things we did in raising our children was to make the Sabbath a delight for them. You know, if you tell your kids, shut up, sit down, don't breathe, don't move, we're going to church. (laughs) Not exactly an exciting thing to look forward to. But if you do little special things to make the Sabbath a delight, then they begin to look forward to it. The holy day of the Lord, honorable. And you shall honor him, not doing your ways, nor finding your pleasure, not watching your favorite football game or your favorite program, nor speaking your own words. We're not here to do our thing today. But notice also in verse 14, there are blessings that come when we do things God's way. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and God says, I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. If you keep my Sabbath and respect my laws, I will bless you. I will bless you incredibly and feed you with the heritage of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken these things. That's why we're here today, to learn God's way, to focus on what God wants us to focus on and not to do our own things. And God said, if you do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you incredibly if you do and follow the instructions that I've given you. So I want to focus on something big today, something beyond each and every one of us. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What is the biggest problem in the world today? What is the biggest problem in our nation today? What is the biggest problem in the church today? Let me suggest some answers. One of the biggest problems in the world today is the lack of peace. The lack of peace. We read about the fighting and the the terrorism that goes on all around the world, the crime, the violence. The day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to use you and me, people that he's calling and preparing to literally bring peace to this world. What about the biggest problems facing our nation today? Is it the lack of gun control? Is it the lack of a balanced budget? Is it the need for gay rights? What is the biggest problem facing our nation today? What about the church of God? What what is the biggest problem we're facing today? Is it really a couple of doctrinal issues that we've adjusted in the last couple of years? Is it that? Is it the fact that we need more ministers, which we do? Is it the fact that we could use more funds to do the work more effectively? That's part of it. Is it family problems that exist within the church? These are all big issues. But I'd like you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22, where God makes some comments prophetically through the prophet Ezekiel, and as we'll see through the prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel chapter 22, 
You can read through the chapter, and Ezekiel is discussing with the leaders of Israel the problems and the sins that resulted in their going into captivity in Babylon. But Ezekiel is also talking prophetically about problems that would exist in the nations of Israel just before the return of Jesus Christ. And he talks about sexual problems. He talks about social problems. He talks about theological problems. But in chapter 22 and in verse 30, he says through Ezekiel, I sought for a man among them, among the Israelites, who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God says through Ezekiel, I was looking for a man to stand up to build a wall, to bring the nation to repentance, to spare the nation from the wrath that I was going to bring on them. And I couldn't find one to do that. I couldn't find one to do that. Let me give you a couple scriptures. You can check into it later. But in Psalm 106, Psalm 106 Verse 23, it talks about Moses was a man that stood in the gap. Moses was a man that stood in the gap. And then in Exodus chapter 32, verses 10 to 14, it gives the example. Moses had been up on on Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments. He was coming down, and he saw the Israelites had had made a, a golden calf, Remember, he asked Aaron, he said, Aaron, what's going on? He said, well, I don't know. I just put this gold in the fire and out jumped this calf. (laughs) Pretty lame excuse. But Moses saw what was happening. Go back and read the account when you go home. And God said, I've had it with these people. Moses, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, Moses could have said, wow, hey, that sounds pretty good. I'm okay with that. He said, God, please don't do that. You brought these people out of Egypt. The whole people of all the people of Egypt saw what you did. Now, if you destroy these people, look what it's going to do to you. And God changed his mind. Because Moses stood in the gap. He pleaded for the people. And then he smashed the tablets. He was mad, but we went down and ground up the the golden calf, threw it in the fire, mixed it with some water, and had the people drink it. (laughs) They got the point for a while, for a couple weeks. But he stood in the gap. He urged the people to repent and change. But God says through Ezekiel he was looking for individuals that would stand up and be counted and bring the nation to repentance. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Jeremiah was saying the same thing, or told to say the same thing. God said, go through the city of Jerusalem and see if you can find a person. See if you can find a man that judges righteously and seeks the truth. And you read through the rest of uh, that chapter in Jeremiah chapter 5. It says they've all turned away. They've all gone astray. 
He couldn't find anyone. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were prophesying about the same time. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, prophesied about his downfall. Ezekiel was prophesying and, and ministering among the people in the countryside in Babylon. They were part of a constellation of prophets that God provided at that time. But many of their prophecies are dual, and they have applications today. They describe the conditions of today. Let's turn back quickly then to Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah's prophecies applied both to the Israelites and then later to the people of Judah, but they also apply to us. But they're describing a condition that existed in ancient Israel, in ancient Judah, and he's describing conditions that exist today. In Isaiah chapter 3, it says, For behold, the Lord God of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and Judea, or Judah, the stock and the store, that is their food and their resources, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. He's going to take away the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, and the diviner and the elder. And I will give children, verse 3, verse 4, to be their princes. I'm going to let immature, impulsive individuals become the leaders instead of the skilled and experienced leaders. And there are going to be consequences. Verse 12, it says, As for my people, children of their oppressors, women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err. They're pointing you in the wrong direction. And they're destroying the way of your paths. They're keeping you from understanding the way that you should go. It says God is going to take away the leaders in Israel. Now, he's not reaching down and taking them necessarily, as we will see. There's a reason why the leaders are no longer pointing people in the right direction. And we're going to talk about that in the sermon today. But I'd like you to think just a little bit as we get into the sermon. What was going on in ancient Israel? What was going on in ancient Judah? That there were no leaders to point in the right direction. Why did it happen? Why did they go into captivity? Why did God punish them so severely? Why were there no godly men in the land? No godly leaders in the land. I think we'll see there's a reason. What does this have to do with us today in America, Britain, other nations around the world? Why are there no godly leaders today? What's happening in our society? What does this have to do with you as men, as boys? What does this have to do with you as women? And girls, what does this have to do with the church of God? What are the implications for each of us individually? You know, there's an old saying, if you don't learn or you don't remember the lessons of history, then as nations or as individuals, we will wind up repeating the mistakes of history and paying the consequences as a result. 
The title for the sermon today, I want to focus on the path to Christian manhood. The path to Christian manhood. Because it appears our society today has forgotten a very fundamental process. That boys don't automatically grow up to become real men. There's a process involved. Males don't just turn into masculine men overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. There's a process. Men don't become gentlemen merely by putting on a suit. It doesn't happen that way. There's a process. There's a path. A man does not become a man of God by putting a coin in his pocket that says, In God we trust. It doesn't happen that way. There is a process and there is a path. Cultures seem to have understood this down through history, that there is a process involved in turning a boy into a man. There's a process involved in turning a man into a man of God. And this is a very important process. It's a very vital process, but it's not being talked about today. We need to know the way to go. We need to recognize the path to follow where these things will not happen. You know, boys and men need good teachers. They need coaches. They need guides to show them how to do these things, how to become godly men, how to become masculine men. And like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. They've got to have a clear picture in mind. Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to get there? What do I need to do in order to become a godly, masculine Christian man? And what do I need to watch out for? What do I need to be alert to? Because this process can go awry. It can go off in the wrong direction if the guides and the teachers are not there and if the fundamental values are not there. Again, this is not just a sermon for the boys and the guys. You know, as girls and as women, you'll make a decision to get involved with the fellow at the right time, hopefully, and in the right circumstances. But will he have the qualities that he's going to need to be an effective father, an effective husband. Well, he's, he's wild and he really gets me excited. Wrong thing. Wrong thing. Well, everybody else is doing it and he does it pretty good too. Wrong reasoning. Now, there's a way, there's a path, and I want to talk about that path this afternoon in the sermon of how to get from point A to point B. We don't go to bed one night and then wake up the next morning and you're already there. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. Let's ask, first of all, why were there no godly men in Israel and Judah in the days of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah? As we read in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Your leaders cause you to err. They're pointing you in the wrong direction. They're holding up wrong models. 
And as a result, the process will go awry. You'll go off in the wrong direction if you follow their instruction. But why were there no men? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2. It's mentioned there, and it's actually mentioned a number of other times through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2 is kind of God's case against the nation of Israel and also the nation of Judah because he lists their sins. He lists the, the problems that they were having. But in verse 13, it says, They have forsaken me, that is the nation, and the leaders, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They rejected God. They rejected his ways. They've made their own gods, made up their own rules. And as a result, they're experiencing severe problems. Now, is God going to just take away the leaders and put the right ones there at this point in time? No, God doesn't do it that way, at least at that point in time. Down in verse 17, have you not brought this on yourselves? Have you not created the conditions in your nation that resulted in no godly leaders available? Have you not brought this on yourselves in that you have forgotten the Lord your God? You turn away from him. You read through the other chapters in Jeremiah, it talks about you've forgotten God, you've forgotten his laws, you've rejected God's ways, and as a result... These godly men are no longer there. Verse 19, your own wickedness will correct you. I'm going to let you reap what you have sown. And it's going to get very difficult for you and for your nation. And your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see it is an, it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me. The fear of my laws, fear of my instructions are not in you, says the Lord of hosts. You know, this is why the ancient nations of Israel and Judah went into captivity. They turned away from God. They got off the path. And the leaders actually led them off the path, and people followed off the path. I came across a book not too long ago. It's entitled Boys Adrift. Five factors driving the growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men. Five factors. And one of the factors was he, he talks about this process. He says, we, he talks about, I think the chapter is entitled, The Revenge of the Forsaken Gods. Now, he's not talking about pagan gods. The revenge of the forsaken gods. He's talking about turning away from fundamental values. And he says those forsaken gods will have their revenge. He says we have violated something that the ancients knew intuitively, which we, but, but which we have arrogantly ignored. We ignore the importance of the traditions at our peril. Manhood is not something that simply happens to boys as they get older. It's an achievement. It's an achievement. Something a boy accomplishes. Something that can easily go awry if we're not careful. So he's describing this process. 
in the book. Mr. Ken Frank, one of our ministers up in the Richmond, Virginia area, wrote a book or wrote a commentary entitled Wanted Men Serious About the True Faith. A commentary entitled Men Serious About the True Faith. He's talking about the need for Christian men today, the need for qualities in men that are just not there. You know, today there's a lot of confusion about what is a man. If you listen to the media, a man is a guy that smokes. He's a guy that drinks. He's a guy that cusses and swears. He gets in fights whenever he feels like it. I remember one basketball player that was arrested for throwing guys through a window at a bar. And he said, I ain't no role model. Well, a lot of people looked at him, young people did, as a role model. But he didn't want to be. He didn't want to be. But real men, real Christian men, real godly men don't do that. They're not out chasing women. They're not out drinking. They're not smoking. They're not doing drugs. But Christian men don't do those things. But boys sometimes do, and boys that never grow up and mature do. See, there's a threshold we've got to get over and help boys recognize and realize we've got to get over those things. I think I've mentioned this before. There was an expression I came across in England when I was living over there. Young guys that run around and do stuff like that, they call lads. Well, he's a lad. <laughs> he really drinks and does everything. But there was another term that they used for girls. She's a ladette. She does the same thing. Drinks, swears, cusses, does this and that and the other thing. See, these are the models that our society provides today. They're wrong. And they can abnormally socialize people, men and women, boys and girls, to look in the wrong direction. And then this whole process goes off the, the, um, the path. And sometimes even children's stories. You know, I've watched Peter Pan. You probably have too. But what was the theme? Peter Pan lived where? Never Never Land. And what was the theme of Never Never Land? Where boys don't have to grow up. They can remain boys forever and ever and ever. They can play. They can run around. They don't have to be responsible. Mom and Dad can watch out for them. <laughs> Again, Peter Pan was fun to watch, but this, this is a theme, that some men never really grow up. If you watch one of the commercials at the Super Bowl, they had this one where it had what, four or five guys dressed up in women's clothes, drinking beer, watching the Super Bowl. Do Christian men do things like that? No, but guys that uh, haven't grown up do. You know, little boys, when they get upset, they yell and scream and go run and stand in the corner. I remember a little kid next door to us, his mom and dad, or his dad got on him one day, and he ran over to the wall of the house and started banging his head against the wall. He was just so mad. <laughs> 
He didn't do it very long because it began to hurt. You know, some adult men do the same thing. They get upset and they start swearing and throwing stuff all around and whatever. See, they haven't made the transition from boyhood to manhood yet. And boys need help doing those things. They need guidance. They need to see how real men handle challenges and how real men handle problems and how real men learn to control their emotions. What our society recognizes today is that women seem to be more religious than men. And I would encourage you to look at the commentary that Mr. Frank had put together because he just uses a lot of statistics. He said women, excuse me, to put it this way, people who are affiliated with religion, 86% are women, 79% are men. Individuals who have an absolutely certain belief in God, 77% are women, 65, 65% are men. Individuals that say religion is very important in their lives, 63% women, 49% men. Have absolutely certain belief in a personal God, 58% women, 45% men. Attend worship services at least weekly, 44% women, 34% men. In other words, in our society today, men are not the spiritual leaders. Men are not the spiritual leaders, but women are trying to do what they can. As I mentioned before, man, uh, manhood doesn't just happen. As we read, it's an achievement. It's something that is achieved over time. So I want to talk today a little bit about the path to Christian manhood. Another book that I came across that was quite interesting it's written by a woman who is a pediatrician who deals with children. She's obviously a mother. The title of the book is Boys Should Be Boys. Boys Should Be Boys, Seven Secrets to Raising Healthy Sons. And she mentions some principles. She said the causes of our problems today, she boils it down to three basic problems. One of the reasons we don't have the Christian men that we should have today, and I think one of the reasons the ancient Israel didn't, is a lack of association with strong, godly men. They don't spend enough time in the company of strong, godly men. That's point number one. Point number two is a lack of a solid religious foundation. If boys and men don't have a solid religious foundation, they don't understand what the solid principles are, then there'll be problems. And the third cause of the problems today is exposure to what she calls toxic media. Exposure to what comes through the media, whether it's radio, television, computers, or whatever. Because what comes through is not the best. You can get all kinds of things on computers, all kinds of things through the media that describe what a man should be. And they're describing the wrong things. They abnormally socialize people. One of the things being pumped into people's minds today is that uh, if you're gay, that's okay. That is not okay with God. 
He says it's an abomination to do those things. The commercial that was on the, uh, for the Super Bowl, these guys dancing around in women's clothes. They probably had fun doing that. This is crazy. This is silly. This is wild. Again, God says it's an abomination. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. He said, for men to dress like women and women to dress like men is an abomination to God. See, they're off the path. They're going in a wrong direction. It's not funny. It's sad. Because this is sending a very confusing message to young people today and even to adults. This lack of association with strong Christian men, strong godly men, this uh, pediatrician identifies as one of the major problems. Another book I was going through, it talks about men today are being feminized. I'm not talking about becoming effeminate where you kind of dress and prance around and do things like that. That's a different thing. The feminization of men is getting men to think more like women. Well, I need to be more in touch with my emotions. I don't want to be aggressive. I don't want to really challenge anybody. And one of the reasons this develops is that many kids growing up through school, their teachers are women. Their dads are busy working. They're not around strong Christian men. Whenever I was growing up, my dad was working a lot. But I spent my summers on my uncle's farm. He was a farmer. He wasn't a flashy guy, but he was a hardworking guy. He let me drive the tractor, let me do various things. And he gave me masculine exposure, exposure to masculine things. You know, my cousin was in the house helping her mom wash dishes, but I got to ride a tractor and, you know, almost tipped it over a couple times and did various things like that. But it was, it was, expo- it was watching him work, watching him do things. Nobody made him get up in the morning. You know, he went to bed at night when the sun went down. I didn't. And I found it hard getting up in the morning. <laughs> he went to bed and got some sleep. Uh, but being around him, neighbor up the street, he'd come home and get out the lawnmower, mow the grass, build a garage next to his house, did all kind of stuff like that. But I saw him working. I saw him doing these things. And we need exposure to men, strong men, so that we can understand and have a picture of where it is we need to go. You know, the solutions to our problems today, just to summarize very quickly, the causes were lack of association with strong, godly men, Number two, lack of a religious foundation. And number three was exposure to what the media puts out, which is toxic in many cases. The solution is not that difficult. Just turn these things around. Encourage and allow and make opportunities for your boys to be around strong, godly men. And for young men to see older men functioning in those capacities. Number two, give boys and give young men a strong religious foundation. It's important. It's not something that just can be tacked on. And I think we're trying to do this within the church. And number three, you've got to avoid or replace this input from the media with the truth. Let's talk about a path to Christian manhood. I'm not making up these terms. If you go to... Psalm 119, David was talking there about a path. Psalm 119, 
verse 105. See, there is a path that leads in the right direction. And if you stay on the path, you're going to be able to avoid a lot of problems. I want to give a sermon in a couple of weeks on Christian womanhood. Your Dr. Meredith has written books, booklets in the past on Christian manhood and Christian womanhood. And I think this is something we need to spend even more time on today because it's an even bigger issue today. David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 105, he says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows me the direction that I need to go. Now, there's a lot of people today writing books and writing commentaries and shooting off their mouth about different ways to go. Well, this is old-fashioned. This is Old Testament. This is all done away with. Are you going to be bogged down in an Old Testament perspective for the rest of your life? You're not going to be progressive and learn and leave this past behind? These voices are there. I was reading something written by a, a radical woman's lib person here recently. She says, I'm very suspicious about people that talk about gender roles for men and gender roles for women. I'm very suspicious about that. Well, she should be because it would conflict from the direction she wants to go. It would stand in her path. It would be an obstacle. But David said, your word is a lamp to my feet. You know, your light, if the lights go out in here and somebody says, get out, where do you go? You can't see. Somebody comes along with a flashlight. Ah, there they are. <laughs> Here's the light to my path. Lead us to the door. But David understood there was a path. Now, he didn't understand it perfectly, and he didn't follow it perfectly. But he understood there was a, a, a way to go. In Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, again a reference. Solomon's writing to young people. He says, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about the direction that you're going to go. Think about it. What are the consequences if I go on this path? What are the consequences if I go on another path? So we need to think down the road. This is one of the things that distinguishes men from boys. Is that boys lacking experience will go charging down this path without thinking about where is this going to go? What's going to happen? <laughs> a mature man, and hopefully a mature woman too, would think about, no, wait a minute, before I make this decision, what are going to be the consequences? Where is this going to take me? What's going to happen five years down the road? See, we need to think these things through. Think about the consequences. How can I prepare to be an ex a success going down this path? How can I, what problems will I avoid if I go down this path over here? So Solomon's writing, ponder the path of your feet. Think about the choices that you will make in your life. You know, one of the things I came across in preparing the sermon was it said it's not uncommon for boys especially, and girls do the same thing in their teenage years, to announce to mom and dad, I'm leaving the church. I'm not going to be part of this anymore. Now, one of the things that they're doing is establishing they want to be their own person. 
They want to be their own person. Now, if you've given them a foundation, hopefully they'll come to some better conclusion. But if they reject everything and go off, and we see this happen all the time, people go off, get in trouble, various things happen, and then every once in a while they do come back to the church and say, you know, (laughs) I made some bad decisions. Well, it's good to come to a good conclusion, even though they've made bad decisions. It says, ponder the path of your feet. Let your, all your ways be established. Don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Be very careful when somebody comes along and says, boy, I've got a really good thing going over here. If you don't have a solid foundation, you may be, well, yeah, what, what's over there? Well, my mom and dad never told me about that one. Let, let's try that. And then things happen. See, God is a God of love. He's given us these instructions to follow. And if we throw them away, then there will be consequences. But let's look at some things that we can do. What does the Bible actually say? What is some of the advice that the Bible gives us for turning boys into men, helping men become godly men? What are some things that we can do? First thing I'd like to mention has to do with helping boys and men lay a firm biblical foundation for their life. You know, there's some things that don't change. Truth doesn't change. Theories and ideas do change, and they're thrown out the window periodically. But truth doesn't change. If you can help your child, help your boy, and help your girl, these are all principles that can apply both ways, to prove that there is a real God, that God is real, and there are benefits from following God's ways. We've got to teach children and teach young people that God is real, How do you know? There's a couple of principles here. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. God is challenging critics through Isaiah. And this is one of the things that he brings up. In Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, it says, Remember this and show yourselves men. In other words, stand up and face reality. Recall to mind, yo, you transgressors, and remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I alone am able to declare the end from the beginning. I can predict the future and make it happen. As human beings, you can't do that. But I can. Why can we turn to scriptures in the Bible? Talking about ancient Israel. Prophecies and promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So I'm going to make a multitude of nations out of you, a nation and a multitude of nations, and a company of nations. You are going to possess the gates of your enemies. And if you turn away from me, you're going to lose those gates. God made some very specific promises. And because of the obedience of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's honored those promises. You know, there are no prophecies in the Koran. 
There are no prophecies in the writings of Confucius. There are no prophecies in the Book of Mormon. But there are almost 2,000 prophecies in the Bible, very specific ones, that God is bringing to pass, has brought to pass. And God says, nobody else can do that. See, the God of the Bible is real. And he's the God that inspired these principles we're talking about. Part of our challenge as parents, part of our challenge as ministers and teachers, is to convey this information. God is real. And he upholds his promises. His laws are real. And they work. Let's just finish the scriptures here. It says, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. The word in the Hebrew means my plan, my purpose will stand. And I will do all my pleasure. I will do everything that I've outlined. Latter part of verse 11, it says, I indeed have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it or proposed it, and I will also do it. The God of the Bible does things like that. He is real. He hears our prayers. He doesn't always answer the way we would like him to answer. He doesn't always do it the way that we would like him to do it. But we also got to be patient and wait on God, because he will do it in his time and in his way. God's laws work. They really do. In Psalm Psalm 1, go back and read that quickly. It's talking about two different ways of life. God instructed Adam and Eve about two trees. He said, look, there's a tree over here and a tree over there. They're symbolic of two different ways of life. Jesus mentioned the same thing. I think it's in Luke 14. There's a broad, wide way that everybody goes, and there's a narrow way that leads to life, that leads to benefits. And the sooner that you are able to make those decisions to go the right way, the sooner you're going to enjoy the benefits. And if you're not sure about a right way and a wrong way, watch the people you hang out with. Watch what happens to them when they go the wrong way. I think I've used this example once before when I was a freshman in college. One of the boys on the floor of the dorm was a gifted athlete, but he was wild. He did exciting things. He went to a nearby city one night and got caught in a police raid at a bar. And he was charged by the police for loitering for prostitution. Went to jail. The only way to get out of jail was to call his parents. And he called his parents. Where are you? I'm in jail. Why? Well, <laughs> very embarrassing. But, you know, from what I can tell, I don't think he ever learned the lesson. See, there's a way that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to real problems. In Psalm 1, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but... You can read it through. Verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Down in verse 4, it says, The ungodly, who doesn't trust in God, looks other ways, are not so, but they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. And their consequence will be very different. You know, the covenant that God entered into with the Israelites in the Old Testament, the basic essence of the covenant was if you obey, follow my instructions, you're going to be blessed. And if you disobey and insist on going against my instructions, there will be consequences. Now, as a society today, we've kind of rejected that whole thing. Well, we can come up with our own gods. We can come up with our own ideas. We can leave all that stuff behind. But that's one of the reasons that we lack godly leadership in our country today. Because we don't have young people that are being raised with this concept there is right and there is wrong to make a transition from being a boy to a godly man or from being a male to a godly masculine man, they've got to follow the path. And you can't go around the, and come in the back door. It only works one way. So help boys lay and help men lay a strong spiritual foundation. Now, why is that important? My parents won't see me if I do this. My friends won't know. I'll go over to the next town. What boys and men and women, too, need to understand is that God watches. God sees everything. Notice in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. See, if we follow the path that David outlined, that God outlined in the Scriptures... We can avoid a lot of problems, and we can gain a lot of benefits. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 says, The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. God is watching. He wants to notice. He's looking for men and women that will take a stand on the right principles. And he'll allow certain circumstances to arise. And then he'll watch and see how you handle those circumstances. You know, Joseph had to deal with probably a very attractive, very alluring, and very seductive woman. The wife of the man that he was working for. And she made a pass at him. Joseph, my husband's away. <laughs> You're so handsome and young and... He didn't look in the mirror and think, well, yeah, maybe I am, you know. And she's very attractive. He got out of there. He fled, chicken. <laughs> he was wise. He made a wise move. He got out of there. But he had a foundation to work from. I think he also understood God was watching. God was watching. You know, I was raised to believe that I shouldn't take God's name in vain. That was what I was taught. I remember one time was catching some fly balls uh, at noontime at, at school, and I barehanded a, a, a fly, a, a line drive. I just reached up and grabbed it, and it stung like crazy, and I said some things. Took God's name in vain. Ah! 
And then I looked around. I was waiting for the lightning and the thunder and the earth to open up. <laughs> Didn't happen. But later I said, I'm sorry. I, 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 it came out. There's nothing wrong with having a fear of God like that. The problem is when you do things like that, you say things like that, you say, eh, no big deal. That's where the problem arises. God is watching. Let's look at one other scripture, Second Chronicles 16. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. See, these instructions are there for us to learn from. This is part of the path that we've got to stay on. It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And the Israelites here were told that they've done foolishly by not following God. But the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking to back up his promises. He's made these promises. He wants to bless individuals that are willing to take a stand and do things God's way. See, this is part of the spiritual foundation that we can help boys and men, and for that point, you know, women too to build on and encourage boys and men to develop a relationship with God. You know, in the sermonette, we heard about the importance of and the benefits of doing some Bible study in the morning, taking some time to get close to God, where you talk with God, you share your concerns with God, and as you're doing your Bible study, ask God, please guide my mind. Help me to understand what I'm reading. And then before you go to bed at night, if you think back over the day, in many cases, God will allow you to have experiences or see things that, that make these scriptures jump out of the page. And you'll see situations. Wow, I just read about that this morning. There's a person going in the wrong direction or... I made a bad decision today. I let my eyes go in the wrong direction. I let my mind go in the wrong direction. But help your children, and especially your boys, since we're talking about that today, to build a firm religious foundation, a godly foundation, to talk with God. I think I've used this example before with my son Scott whenever he was little. We were painting the fence and we lost a screwdriver or something and in the grass. I said, Scott, help me look for this. And he was running the other way into the house. I said, Scott, come back, please, and help me find. He said, I'll be back, Dad, in a minute. He went into the house, and he prayed. He said, God, help us find the, the screwdriver. <laughs> he came out, and he found the screwdriver. <laughs> I mean, this is the personal relationship with God, that God will reinforce, that God will guide, because he wants there to be godly men and godly women. So that's point number one, help our, our boys, help our men lay a firm foundation that God is real, his laws work, and you turn away from those laws, there will be consequences. 
serious consequences. You know, as we mentioned in the announcements, Leviticus 18, verse 22, God says that men who have relationships with men sexually and women who do the same with women is an abomination to God. He said, this is something I hate. This is terrible. It's not a matter of equality. It's a matter of evil. It's a matter of right and wrong. But people don't want to talk about that today. The second point, or second way that marks the path is to encourage and make opportunities for young boys and young men to have contact with older, mature, godly men where they can talk with them, work shoulder to shoulder with them. You know, I enjoyed working on my uncle's farm because I worked with a bunch of some guys. that they were, they were muscular, they were tanned, they drove their tractors, they did this and that, and it was, it was exciting to be there working with them. They were bigger than I was, they were stronger than I was, but I could see examples that I wanted to follow. How do you do this? You can do it several different ways. We can provide opportunities for young men to be around older men. It's, it's been kind of exciting to have some on-campus students here where we can sit in class and we can talk back and forth. You know, with our Internet thing, we can't do quite as much, but at least they can hear the lectures. We can study the instructions in the Bible. What is God looking for in a Christian man, in a godly man? Do we have to guess or do we know? Can we know? Turn to Exodus chapter 18 very quickly. Because the instructions are here. All we have to do is read them and then internalize them. And these will help paint a picture or create a picture that young men can focus on. I want to be like that. I want to devote my life to becoming like that. This was instructions that Moses' father-in-law gave him. And Moses was humble enough to listen. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm young, I'm, I'm, I'm from Egypt, I've had a lot of training you don't have. You're, you're just a sheep herder out here, kind of a prophet in the desert. His father-in-law told him in verse 20, he said, And you shall teach them, that is the people of God, or God's people, the statutes and the laws, that is, of God, and show them the way, the path, in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, men with ability. Nothing wrong with having ability. It's got to be guided, though, in the right direction. Individuals who hate covetousness, they're not always grasping for themselves to get ahead. Individuals who fear God. They fear to take his name in vain. They fear to lie and steal and covet. They fear to abuse their wives. They fear so they don't chase women. They fear to cuss. They fear to get drunk. See, this is the direction God wants us to go. Men of truth. They're not into lies. They're not into shading the truth. They're into telling the truth, and they understand the importance of telling the truth. And then he says, place them in positions of responsibility. This is what God is looking for now. 
What criteria is he going to use whenever Jesus Christ comes back and appoints governors over this city, rulers over this nation? Same principles. If you can catch that vision and internalize these things, then you are going to be among the individuals God will look at and say, I've been watching you. I like what I've seen. I'm going to give you more responsibilities because you were willing to come out of this world and to learn a different way of life. You can study these things through in other examples in the Bible, Deuteronomy 17, where the people that would wind up in positions of leadership were to make their own copy of the law and to study it daily. So they would have these concepts in their mind. See, the instructions are there. All we have to do is follow them. You can also discuss and preach about and talk about the biblical examples in the Bible of Abraham. Why was he the father of the faithful? What qualities did God notice? What qualities did he actually develop and foster and encourage in Abraham? That he would teach his family God's way of life. Abraham wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. So did Isaac and Jacob. I remember one kid in high school, he was doing some reading about uh, Benjamin Franklin and found out what Benjamin was doing in Paris. Well, he was supposedly on a diplomatic mission. And this, this shocked him. Because in some cases, we've idolized heroes. Well, they're, they're always perfect. The Bible is very plain. The individuals that God has called and used haven't been perfect. Their instruction was to become perfect. To become perfect. And we can learn from the good examples and the bad examples. But discussing and reading about, especially if you're a younger person, or even as a young man, as an older man, read the examples in the Bible. Some kings were good, some kings were bad, some bad kings repented and became... They learned some lessons. But these examples are there for our instructions. And if we become familiar with these examples, we're going to be able to use them to teach others in the coming kingdom of God. You can read books about leaders. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Again, a principle that is there. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. He who walks or associates with or reads books about wise individuals, individuals who have had an impact positively on history, what did they do? What was their perspective? How did they think? You can get inside their minds by reading some of the stories about them. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. And a lot of the icons today, the pop heroes today, are really fools because they don't have a foundation to work from. They're being influenced by the media today. But reading books about people like George Washington, what can you learn? Booker T. Washington came out of slavery, but he had an impact on the country at that time. Daniel Boone, what did he do? Why was he different? 
General Eisenhower, very interesting story about his life. But reading about these people becomes inspiring. I remember reading books about Davy Crockett and John C. Fremont, one of the explorers across the West, and Kit Carson. And uh, it was exciting. I was kind of disappointed because I was born 200 years too late. <laughs> Couldn't be a mountain man. Couldn't ride in the cavalry. But it was kind of exciting reading about those things. There's nothing wrong with having heroes. One of the books that I came across, too, very interesting. It says it's entitled, Ten Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. Ten Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. It says, never leave children to themselves. Keep them busy all the time. That way they never have a chance to think. Keep them away from machines. They might get hurt. Don't let them mow the grass. Don't let them drive a tractor. Don't let them do anything like that because they, they, they might be hurt. Don't let them play with power tools. They might get cut. Well, they'll get some nicks and scratches. They need to be taught how to use these things. You know, when I was driving through a tractor through my uncle's field, whenever you rake or mow a whole hay field, you're out there for a couple of hours on a tractor. And I was thinking about all the things I wanted to do. <laughs> Your mind gets going. There's nothing wrong with that. Another way to destroy your child's imagination, keep them inside as much as possible. If they're outside, they might get stung by a bee. They might get poison ivy. They might get this and they might get that. No, especially boys need to be outside. If you're ever around a school and they release for recess, get out of the way. Yay! They come charging out of there. You ask kids, what's your favorite subject in school? Recess! What's your next favorite subject? Lunch! (laughs) But we lock them up for eight hours a day. Don't say anything. Don't move. Be quiet. Be respectful. Now, girls do a better job with that for the most part than boys. But boys are wired differently. You know, a wall for a boy... Something to climb, something to jump off of. A wall for a girl, that's protective. (laughs) Keeps you safe. They were wired differently. This whole stuff that boys and girls are the same, men and women are the same, it's just sociologically determined. This is a bunch of baloney, and it doesn't work. But one of the other principles in the book was run down heroes. Run down heroes. Let everybody know they're not heroes. They're just real people. You know, we need heroes. We need role models. And there's nothing wrong with pointing your kids, watch Mrs. So-and-so, watch Mr. So-and-so. Watch how he does things. Listen to him. Because you may want to model your life after heroes. Jesus Christ is a person that we can model our life after. And he wasn't a man that walked into a room and gave everybody the peace sign and whatever. (laughs) And when he walked into the temple, overturned the tables, people didn't say, oh, look at his hands. Aren't they so smooth? (laughs) And look how he combs his hair. It just kind of flows down over his neck, you know. They would probably say, let's get out of here (laughs) before we get thrown out the window. See, he was appropriately aggressive 
at the appropriate time. He was not afraid of challenging the Pharisees. He said, you bunch of whitened sepulchers. He said, you've hidden the truth. He didn't say, you know, fellas, if we just talk and have more dialogue, we could probably get together and understand each other. <laughs> no, he was a very different person. I think people are going to be very surprised when Christ returns in majesty and glory with a rod of iron. He said, we're going to straighten this out over here. You're not going to do that anymore. But that same individual is going to lead people back from captivity tenderly, tenderly, with love and concern. See, we need the right kind of role models so that we can be socialized in a right direction. We need a path that outlines these things. You can also read some books about this process. The book we've mentioned a number of times, Man of Steel and Velvet. A man has to have both those qualities. can't be all steel, and it can't be all velvet. It's got to be a balance, and you've got to see people modeling these activities. The third major point we've talked about already is avoiding and replacing the influence of the media, the negative impacts of the media. And young people that are watching television on the Internet, they're going to need some guidance. What is good? What is bad? And what seems good, seems funny, and seems uh, popular, they need to be shown, look, you need to think about the consequences. You need to ponder the path of going down that direction, what will actually happen. You encourage your young people especially young men, because we're talking about that today. Study the book of Proverbs. It outlines the path. It talks about the importance of self-control. It talks about the importance of gaining wisdom, not money, but wisdom, so that you can make wise decisions. And girls, you need to be reading the same book so you don't get caught up with a guy that's not interested in wisdom. Oh, he's got a Corvette, and he's got this, and he's got that. Wow. And if I just marry him, look where I'd be. You may regret. You may regret making that decision on based on those things. There are more important things. Avoiding the influence of the media. Let's look at one scripture here in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. <clears throat> Several verses are worth reading together there, 33 through 37. It says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. This was David's attitude. This is why he was a man after God's own heart. He wanted to be taught. He wanted to learn the truth. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law, understanding why it's worthwhile to keep the laws of God. Make me walk in the paths of your commandments. Help me do that. <clears throat> Verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Don't let me do that. Help me get a handle on that. Not to look at things I shouldn't look at. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, it talks about, As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, young 
boy <clears throat> dealing with sexual drives and so on may be attracted to other young boys, and they need to be told that's not the direction to go. That's not the direction to go. It's going to be a dead end. Anybody that's looked at and studied animal behavior, there's a guy, Conrad Lorenz, who's an Austrian, and he was working with animal behavior. And he raised a couple of little ducks, and the only person or the only individual the duck saw was him. And the little ducks began to follow him, just like they would follow their mother, because they had been programmed wrong. If you watch little ducks swimming in a pond, what do they do? They all follow the same way. They all follow their mother. But here was a human being, worked with a baby duck that had never seen her mother, or his mother, whatever it was. And the duck followed him, followed him down through the house, all over the place. Because they have this thing called patterning. They get a pattern in their mind. If, if people put wrong patterns in their mind, of course they're going to say, well, I had this feeling, you know, whenever I was three years old. Well, it wasn't guided. It wasn't pointed in a right direction. Your thoughts need to be guided. And if nobody guides those thoughts, then they'll go off in a wrong direction. Let's bring this to a conclusion. We've been talking about the pathway to Christian manhood. There is a path that leads in a right direction. There are many paths that go off in a wrong direction. But as a church, we've got to explain these things very clearly. As teachers, we've got to explain these things very clearly. We need to model the right kind of behavior. We need to model the right kind of behavior. You know, we had a situation in Texas years ago whenever things were coming apart. And one of the ministers got up and spoke, and everybody was looking for him to give some guidance. He read a poem and minced off the stage. It was kind of like... Where are we? Because the leader that was supposed to be there didn't lead. Well, he didn't want to create a scene. He didn't want to create any waves, which he didn't. But the leadership and the example wasn't there, which was sad. Okay, looking back over what we've been talking about, why did Israel and Judah... Why were there no strong, religious, convicted, godly men there today? Or excuse me, there at that time. And we read in Jeremiah because they'd forgotten God. They'd turned away from God. They weren't following the instructions in the scriptures. There were no men to stand in the gap. Because this wasn't something that was outlined. They had wrong examples to follow. The problems today are there for the same reasons. We have forgotten God. We've turned away from God. We don't follow the path that's outlined in the scriptures, and yet that path is there. A couple of interesting scriptures you can check whenever you go home. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, Hosea says, There is no knowledge of God in the land. And this is why the problems are there. There is no knowledge of God in the land. Hosea 5 and verse 7, it says, You've raised pagan children. You haven't taught them God's way of life. A couple different translations of that verse, you've raised alien children. Or you've raised children that have no understanding 
Mr. Ames used the statistic, I think, last week in his sermon, that about 70% or more of young people in America today think homosexuality and same-sex marriage is fine. Because they've heard this argument, well, we've got to be equal. Your president has kind of made the statement, if, if as long as our gay brothers and sisters don't have the same rights that other people do, then America is really not the America it should be. This is wrong. This is dead wrong. See, our leaders are leading us in the wrong direction. They're not pointing us in the path that we should go. Part of our challenge as a church is to recapture true values, to get back on course, back on target, and to stand in the gap, to lead our nation to repentance, to keep our people pointed in the right direction. That's part of our job. Why? Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth, set up a government on this earth. We're going to have a chance to reign as kings and priests and teachers in the coming kingdom of God. If God sees you preparing to do that, part of your reward is going to be to help change the world, to point the world in a right direction. And that's going to be worth coming out of this world and taking a few shots across the bow. But God's going to see that. As we read in Second Chronicles, the eyes of God search the thirst to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Do you want to share in that reward when Christ returns? Learn the path. Follow the path. Let God see you following the path. Set an example that others can follow. Be a role model that other young men can look to. Begin to think like a man. Act like a man. And walk like a man, <laughs> as the commercial goes. Brethren, God has called us to recapture true values, to be preparing to teach the world the truth in the right way. So let's strive with all of our might to follow the path to true Christian manhood. And next time we'll talk about the path to true Christian womanhood.